with me, the fans, here on KCPN as we go through everything that's kind of happened SEC football-wise. Now, we're getting started a little bit later today than what we normally do. There's some reasons for that. And the main reason uh, for that has to do with the fact that we are in the middle of not only the college football playoff, and that committee has made their decisions, which we'll hop on here in just a minute as everybody gets going. But we also have a coaching search going on with the Auburn Tigers that is getting extremely ugly. And we will talk about that more as uh, we go along today here on We The Fans. Make sure that you follow us on KCPN and you go and listen and watch every one of our shows, whether it is on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, or you follow us on Apple Podcasts. You'll get the notification the very moment that ones have... They have going, or I should say, I was reading the the comment from Gracie I'll get to in just a second, but uh, whenever it goes live on the Apple Podcast, you'll get that notification. She says, sorry, my team decided they are not post-seasoning. Yeah, no, there's a lot of teams that have decided that they're not post-seasoning. And it is the reason why a lot of bowl games are getting canceled just a few moments ago. Thanks. Hey, Chris, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. He says that he's leaving for Disney tomorrow, and he says he loves the podcast. And I appreciate that as well because this is kind of how we kind of get through uh, our Mondays because at about this time is really kind of when your energy just starts to kind of plummet. Now, I was saying we're in the middle of a coaching search. Uh, That's going to be kind of talked about throughout the show, but obviously we know what is the most important part of what is happening college football-wise, and especially in the SEC uh, right now, and that has to do with what is going on now and the fact that this is now official. Alabama, Notre Dame, they're going to be playing in the Rose Bowl that is taking place in Texas, in Dallas, in Arlington, at AT AT&T Stadium, Jerry World, whatever you want to call it, and Clemson and Ohio State will be going and playing down in New Orleans. Now, what we were told uh, just a little while ago was that I thought this was brilliant scheduling by Nick Saban uh, to go to Dallas instead of going to New Orleans because normally the number one seed is the one that gets to decide where they play the semifinal game. So in normal seasons, it would be in New Orleans or in Los Angeles playing in the Rose Bowl. And most of the time you go with where you're closest to. That being said, Alabama is now going to the Rose Bowl because it's playing in Texas. I thought this was Nick Saban's decision because Texas is a humongous recruiting state. And instead, of going to New Orleans and Louisiana, he says, hey, let's go play in Dallas because that's where some of these recruits can go and they have a better opportunity of seeing Alabama play and getting in front of more eyes. That was not the case. Apparently, the College Football Playoff Committee made this decision for Alabama because the AT&T Stadium will allow, will allow more fans into the stadium than what will the Superdome in the state of Louisiana. So that's the reason why they went to Texas. But how did we get here is the main question. How did we get to these four teams being the ones that will be playing 
coming up in, in about two weeks. I mean, next week is game week. So in about two weeks, a little less than that, is when they will be playing in the college football playoff. Now, there, there are a few teams that are kind of on the outside looking in, one of which is the biggest one, and that is Texas A&M after beating Tennessee. They played Tennessee over the weekend. Normally, a team like Texas A&M wouldn't even have the opportunity to play and get their name into and get put on a performance so that teams could, you know, these this committee can remember how well they play. If you get that week off normally, it's not a good sign for you. That's the reason why teams like Notre Dame sometimes struggle in, in this weekend because they're not playing and everybody else is. And that's why they don't win Heisman's and they don't win some of these major awards because last, a lot of times it's the last thing you see. Texas A&M had that opportunity against Tennessee and you're seeing that Tennessee got up early, then Texas A&M kind of started taking this game over in the second quarter, and they played as good as they possibly could have on the road. Now, there's some plays like the one that you're looking at right now that that really and truly benefited Texas A&M to an extent because you get this turnover after that and you saw that Tennessee's quarterback got absolutely lit up. Not John Meachie lit up, but he got lit up on the play. And then you see this one that that allows Tennessee to kind of come back after Texas A&M turned that last turnover into a field goal. And this play was a touchdown call for Tennessee on a fantastic deep pass that was able to get Tennessee back to within three points before Texas A&M was really going to take this game over kind of in the second half. But look how tremendous of a catch this is. This Tennessee program is not playing for anything. A lot of people actually thought that Tennessee in this football game was kind of playing for Jeremy Pruitt's career as the Tennessee Vols head football coach because if he got left out or if they got destroyed, he was going to be kicked to the curb. But they they play that well. Texas A&M then right before the end of the half scores another touchdown as they then get a bigger lead on Tennessee. And then pretty much in the second half, you're going to see here in a few seconds, this was all Texas A&M because they they drive down the field, they get this short gain, and then they just blow it into the end zone to go up 31 to 13. And this is in the fourth quarter. And Texas A&M was basically just trying to put on a performance that the college football playoff committee would appreciate. Here's the final interception that ends up wrapping up the game. You then see Kellen Mond come onto the field. He takes a knee and Texas A&M gets out of of Knoxville with a solid victory and a 21-point win. That was almost as good as a performance as they possibly could have put together to make sure the playoff committee at least gave them an opportunity and a thought to be into the playoff. There was nothing else that they could do. The only way that they were going to get in was if Clemson or Alabama lost. Now, the reason I say this is the only reason that they were possibly going to get in is unfortunately, and you can go look at the other conference championship games that took place, specifically the ACC championship game, and Clemson did to Notre Dame what many people thought Clemson was going to do in this ACC championship game. And see, even though we're doing we're the fans and we're very focused on the SEC, now at this point in time in the season, 
all of these conferences all mesh together because we're looking at the college football playoff, and you can see what having Trevor Lawrence does for Clemson Tigers program. See, the question about it with with the Clemson Tigers was not so much could Uwe Ungalale beat Notre Dame again if he was given that opportunity, which you see how well Clemson just absolutely destroyed Notre Dame in this game. Like, just continue. It's 24-3 at one point in time, and then Trevor Lawrence busts off this huge run in for a touchdown, which that run is something he doesn't do normally at the very beginning of the season. He only does this later on in the season because he likes to save his legs, and it becomes another weapon that really teams forget about, and he's really able to take Take advantage of this. Notre Dame was down 34 to three before they scored their first touchdown with eight minutes to go in the ball game. That's going to be the only score that happens for Notre Dame because you can see 18 seconds to go. Clemson just runs a single play and that is it. That is ball game. Clemson wins the ACC championship 34 to 10, avenging the loss that they had in the in, at Notre Dame. And up in, in the north part of the country a couple of a few weeks ago. Matter of fact, well, roughly around midseason is when they went up to Notre Dame and they and they lost in South Bend. And this wasn't so much about what Uyunglele could have done. It's more about the fact that Trevor Lawrence, as a dual-threat quarterback, has this ability to truly make a difference in the football game for Clemson and what Clemson is planning on doing. That is being able to run the RPOs a little bit more, use him as a running threat, which they really don't have uh, during the, a lot of the regular season. And so that's why you see it. So, But as you saw, that was Clemson versus Notre Dame. We now know that at some point in time in this, Clemson and Notre Dame are both going to make it into the college football playoff, and that other fourth team was going to be the one from the Big Ten. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you right now, if you're watching on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, wherever you're potentially watching, this was an ugly football game, or it was a tremendously well-played defensive football game because we show the field goals in this game because that's really what majority of the scoring was because the defenses of both teams played so so well and this game had a lot of turnovers Ohio State struggled to get into the end zone early in the game we see them getting getting in the end zone right here or I should say this interception oh my heavens watch this interception anybody questioning how well Northwestern plays watch this interception that North that Northern our Northwestern had towards the end of the first half Auburn this is what Auburn's going to have to look forward to when they play in the Citrus Bowl against Northwestern you're playing arguably one of the best defenses that you're going to play all year long and Northwestern looking look at the way the cornerback on this goes back one hands it and brings it in what a tremendous play look normally you'll see this from a, a wide receiver and this is a, that was a a cornerback getting the inside lane and making that interception you turn around and look at early in the third quarter the exact same thing happened against Northwestern and Ramsey throws an interception in the end zone that's 14 points that have been taken off the board because of interceptions that happened in the end zone during the Big Ten championship game look at Ramsey he once again he tries to go for a jump ball he wants to throw it where his wide receiver can catch it but he underthrows it and that causes the interception then you see this play which is another pick 
that takes place against Northwestern. That was miscommunication from Justin Fields and his wide receiver. I don't know if that was an option route that the wide receiver was running, but watch Fields as he rolls out when they show the replay in just a second. Fields looks like he's going to be running a hook and he's going to cut back, but instead the wide receiver keeps going and it's the defender, the cornerback, that actually runs the route. And boom, looks like he's about to pop up and Justin Fields throws the ball thinking that he was going to run that out and instead his wide receiver cuts up and the cornerback's the one that makes the read on it, gets that one foot down and scores the interception. But that but their inner, that interception didn't lead to any points whatsoever and that's the reason why or, uh, Oklahoma, or Ohio State and Trey Sermon start to take over this game in the second half. The defense for, for Northwestern played absolutely tremendous. But you can see how hard it is to play against Ohio State because their defense is that good. And there's another interception. A lot of turnovers in this game. A ton of turnovers by Northwestern and by Ohio State. But the problem was is that when Northwestern had the opportunity to get into the end zone, they couldn't do it. You had the interceptions. You would get stopped on big third down plays by Ohio State. Or you had these interceptions like you see. That's an NFL interception. Both feet get down inside. But the play doesn't lead to anything. And once again, Northwestern driving, fumbles the football. That was the story for them all game long. If they don't make these turnovers... Northwestern could have won this football game, and that would have totally thrown the college football playoff committee into a flux. But instead, Ramsey continued to make these. He's holding on well to the football, but then it just slips out of his hands because he runs in and he gets hit by his own offensive lineman, and that leads to yet another turnover and yet again another play that resulted in no points, and then Ohio State scores again with about four minutes to go, and you can see them. They're counting rings. Trey Sermon with a second touchdown of the game and that's ball game because there was nothing else that that Northwestern was going to be able to do to win that game so that's how Ohio State got in we saw how Clemson got in but be honest with yourself okay how great and I'm asking you how great was that SEC championship game Okay, I'm not talking about SEC fans. I'm not asking about that. I'm asking you how well and how much did you enjoy the SEC championship game? Because even if you are not an SEC fan, the game came on way later. Normally, for, for those of you that don't know, that's hopping in, watching KCPN for the first time, normally the SEC championship game is the 3 o'clock kick. This year, they backed it up to the 7 p.m. kick, which is where I hope it stays. But now you get into arguably one of the best games in the SEC all year long. And Najee Harris with an amazing performance, over 200 yards of offense. That's the first of his five touchdown plays. Kyle Trask, look at him put this ball into a perfect position for Kadarius Toney to make the reception. And that was the moment. I talked about it on Saturday on my show on 97.7 ESPN The Zone. I said, look, first off, boom, boom. Oh, my God, how beautiful is that? Michi just lit Dean up. Great strip. I mean, great strip. Then Dean doesn't even see Michi come and gets lit 
up. Boom. If you're listening on the Apple podcast, go watch it on Facebook. We've got highlights going right now of that hit from Michi. And that turned around because the very next play, Devontae Smith with the big touchdown reception, that was a 21-point swing on that one play. Look at the spin move by Najee Harris. That's touchdown number two for him. And this is where you knew that this was going to be a track meet. Actually, you should have known this well before this play. But that's when we knew this is going to be a track meet. Okay? And Alabama, look at this. Two and a half minutes to go. This is important. Two and a half minutes to go. Najee Harris scores his third touchdown of the game. This is important because this is where Florida starts making horrific mistakes. 228 remaining. Trask. Deep pass caught by Kendarius Tony again. That gets them in place for this next play, which is going to be where we start questioning Florida's decision-making towards the end of the half. Because now, about two plays later, Trask again with this deep ball pass caught once again by Kadarius Tony gets down to the one a minute and 32 remaining. They eventually says that Tony was down on this play and that is going to be overturned because they thought that maybe that was a fumble, but instead they think that Kadarius Tony's elbow was down before he actually lost control of the football. Then comes this play, minute 15, Kyle Trask scores. There was 20 seconds left on the play clock. That would have got the play down to at least 50 seconds remaining in the half. Florida scores this touchdown. Leaves a minute and 20 on the clock for Alabama. And the Alabama drives down the field. And with 10 seconds left, this is when you see Najee Harris's fourth touchdown of the game that put Alabama up larger. If Florida kills time with the kickoff, with the, with the, the killing of the time for Kyle Trask, Alabama most likely doesn't have the range or the speed to get down and score this touchdown the way they did. They might have gotten into field goal range, but they definitely do not score seven. You come back out of the half, Kyle Trask goes out at, goes at it again, and you see this fantastic catch that you, that you have seen by Grimes. He beats his defender, goes up to the high point, makes the catch, and runs into the end zone. And that's when Florida starts to kind of make a run. They score again after getting a good defensive stand. And the third quarter was all Florida. Nothing Alabama, good for Alabama, really happened in the third quarter. Then you see we fast forward once again into the fourth quarter, and that is where Alabama will score about three more times. Here comes Najee Harris once again. That's touchdown number five. They eventually they started off by calling him down with about a foot to go, but then they overturn it. That turns into a touchdown because they eventually see that Najee Harris just contorts his body well enough, and he uses his left hand to brace himself up long enough to cross over into the end zone. You'll see it on this angle. Is Look, Najee is spinning. He puts that left hand down and pushes into the end zone before he goes down. Fantastic upper body management there. Kyle Trask then hits Kyle Pitts. This is when Kyle Pitts really started to make a presence in the SEC championship. He gets knocked down at the one. L- or Florida then goes in once again. You're going to see 
Another short touchdown run, this time actually by a running back for Florida, which is kind of shocking to everybody, especially the announcers on the football game because they don't call names really very often when it comes to the running backs and running the football. Now it's a seven-point game. Five minutes to go. Devontae Smith catches that that play-action slant route. They tried it earlier in the game, but Florida guarded it extremely well, and this time they were able to get it in and to get the touchdown, and you see Jalen Waddle there celebrating. Then comes Florida. It's still down 14. What a catch. Kyle Pitts in the end zone. Get used to seeing this one. You're going to see this from every single angle because I can promise you, coming up in about April, March, February in the combine in the NFL draft, this is the play that that ESPN and NFL Network is going to show so many times because of him beating three Alabama defenders to make this catch. He had two guarding him, one behind him, and he makes this catch, which is an absolute amazing catch in college football, and that's why Kyle Pitts is going to be a first-round draft pick. This is was a question mark for a lot of people because then you see this play, which was going for two. They don't get it, but Alabama gets called for a flag on the play, and that play then turns into – Florida getting another opportunity at the two-point conversion, down eight, and they scored this two-point conversion, now making it a six-point ball game with two minutes and seven seconds to go. This, to me, was Dan Bowling saying, screw it. Either we're going to win this game or we're going to lose this game. We're not tying and taking it into overtime. Alabama goes three and out. Kadarius Tony then gets the punt. Tremendous punt by Alabama. Gets pinned down deep with 16 seconds to go in the ball game. And Kyle Trask trying to go for the deep ball because he doesn't have much time. And Christian Harris getting the sack. Florida doesn't have enough time after the play to get back up and to make any sort of offensive play to kill the clock. And Alabama wins the SEC championship. I don't know about you, and I'm really wondering if if anybody and how your, your Heisman voting is going as well. There are people that think... That that Najee Harris just cost Mac Jones the Heisman Trophy. Okay, now first off, we know who the four teams are that are in the college football playoff. We mentioned those at the very beginning of the show. We'll show you the bracket once again. It's Alabama versus Notre Dame, one versus four. Clemson versus Ohio State, two versus three. Now the question is going to be for you is if you are an Alabama fan, who does deserve the Heisman Trophy more? Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. Because these two men are going to be interlocked when it comes to looking at the stats for this football season. Now, I know that there are a lot of Heisman voters that are just now starting to put their voting in. Matter of fact, I work with a Heisman voter and Scott Moulton. He actually uh, put his vote in, and I know uh, roughly – about who all he voted for this football season as far as his top three are concerned. If you do not know, then what happens is is you vote for your first, second, and third. You don't just vote for your your number one Heisman winner, and that, that's the way that it goes. You vote for who you think is first, who you think is second, who you think is third. Personally, and I'm not a Heisman voter, but if you're asking me, the Heisman Trophy should be going to Devontae Smith. 
He is second in the nation in yards receiving per football game. He is second in the nation in touchdowns. He is also about fourth or fifth in the nation when it comes to average yard scoring. And he is first in the nation in total yards scored or total yards receiving. And he leads the nation in receptions. That to me is your number one. That should be your Heisman Trophy winner. It was it was early on in the football season. You thought that it was Kyle Trask. It was Mac Jones. That was who it was going to come down to towards the very end of the football season. But then you started seeing Devontae Smith step up for Jalen Waddell. And Devontae Smith has become the premier back and the premier wide receiver in college football this year. Not just in the SEC, but in college football. To me, he is your number one. If I have to put, if I would have had to put a number two on this, then my number two is Kyle Trask. He leads the nation in yards passing per game. He also leads the nation in touchdown passes and in yards per attempt. He is roughly uh, seventh or eighth. And then if you look at total yards passing, he's number one there as well. The other part where he's probably type 10 is going to be passing percentage and completion percentage in that Mac Jones leads in passing percentage and completions per per attempt. He also leads in, uh, he's third in the nation in yards passing per football game. His numbers per touchdowns are second to Kyle Trask. A lot of that has to do with what happened on Saturday and a lot of those passes that he threw to Najee Harris to turn into touchdowns. And Mac Jones also is third or is leads the nation in QBR. So to me, if I was voting for the Heisman, number one would be Devontae Smith. Number two would be Kyle Trask. Number three would be Mac Jones. That would be my three in voting because as many people wants to bash Kyle Trask for what took place last week against LSU, that was not his fault. He can't help that his defense is horrific. His defense just cost him the SEC championship. His defense cost him the LSU game. And his defense also cost him the Alabama or the Texas A&M football game. Those aren't his fault. His numbers in almost every single one of those games are outstanding. 300 to 400 yards passing, three, four, five touchdowns every single game. There were very few games where he actually struggled passing the football. I think there's only two games this football season where he even passed for fewer than 300 yards. That's the reason why I would put him at, at number two. The other thing is, is as long as much as Mac Jones is going to get labeled a game manager and all those question marks that you always want to put with a quarterback whenever he's just kind of dinking and dunking the way that Mac Jones has. He is one of the best deep ball passers in college football, not just the SEC. That's why he should be. Your number should be one of your top two or three Heisman Trophy voters or vote getters coming up on Saturday. I think the votes have to be in. uh, I think today is the last day that the Heisman voters can get their names in. And I think that that is how this is going to be playing out. Now, that you can comment uh, no matter where you are, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Facebook. You'll see the comments pop up right here, right below us for We The Fans. But Mac Jones has had an outstanding football season. I fully expect him to go pro. But with Kyle Trask, you can't fault him for what's happening. In fact, and this is why I kind of 
have went back and forth. If it wasn't for a Devontae Smith stepping up like he has the last two months of the football season for Mac Jones and, and doing what he has done uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Kyle Trask would be my number one. He would be my Heisman vote-getter because this guy did every bit of this for Florida, and without him, Florida's not in the SEC championship game. Without him... Florida doesn't beat Georgia. Florida does not beat the teams that they have beat this year. I mean, there are some tough games that Kyle Trask is the reason why they came back. Look at the Kentucky game. I know you want to roll your eyes like, oh, he's talking about Kentucky. But on the road, Kentucky, Kyle Trask is the reason why they came back and they won that football game. That is the reason why he should be if not the Heisman winner, the number two in it. Because without him, Florida's not even in this position. If you go back and watch last week's game against LSU, without Kyle Trask, they get blown out by LSU. That has nothing to do with him. He still threw for four tu- or for 400 yards. He still had four touchdowns in that football game. It wasn't just a, hey, Kyle Trask is the reason why we lost. No, Kyle Trask was the reason why Florida even had a point to a- an extra opportunity and an extra drive to get the field goal that would have tied it up and sent it into overtime in the first place. So I know that losing is going to hurt you a lot in the Heisman Trophy of voting now, especially with the way this award is, because for so many years, they gave it to your Eric Crouch. They gave it to to your, your RG3s, and they gave it to a lot of these players that didn't really amount to much. Was it Jason White out of Oklahoma? They gave it to, and a lot of people were going like, why are we giving it to this guy? Like, their team's not playing in the college world playoff or the BCS National Championship. They shouldn't be getting this trophy. And instead, it's now become kind of a popularity contest of who's the best player on the best team, and that's why we're going to get it. Trevor Lawrence is one of the best players in the country. He could possibly be the best player in the country. He was not the best player in 2020 because he missed two football games. Not his fault. I We know it's not his fault. And he misses those two games and he's unable to play. Clemson loses, which obviously it doesn't hurt them because they're still the number two seed. The only difference that they would have had is most likely they're playing in Dallas instead of playing in New Orleans. That's really the only only pick because what I believe just happened in, the, in that college football playoff committee room is that they selected the four teams and once they decided that Texas A&M was not one of the four. And then they then turned it around and said, look, we can't have – Notre Dame and Clemson playing back-to-back games. So what we are going to do is we're going to set the bracket up where Clemson is going to take on Ohio State so you don't get the rematch between Clemson and Notre Dame, even though they should have probably dropped to number four or to number only to number three. We're going to drop them to four since they lost. They're not a conference champion. And we're going to put Ohio State at number three so we get the 2-3 matchup of Clemson-Ohio State, even though it is a rematch from last football season in the college football playoff there. So we get Alabama, we get Notre Dame, and that's where this is going to be heading towards coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Now, there are other SEC teams. All the bowl schedule came out, and this is a screen grab that we took 
from uh, SEC or, or Saturday down south. And these are all the bowl games that SEC teams are going to be playing in. And this thing starts off for the SEC football teams. This thing starts off here in just a few days. Matter of fact, Saturday is when the first SEC team is going to play. They're going to be playing UAB. UAB is going to get talked about here in just a little, just a few seconds in the Gasparilla Bowl. You have Missouri making the trip to Nashville. They're going to be playing Iowa. You have Mississippi State going to going to play Tulsa in the Armed Forces Bowl. The reason why that took place is because other games got canceled. These are kind of an at-large game. Liberty Bowl is where the Tennessee Vols, even though they only won three games this season, are going to be playing in because it's in the state of Tennessee and they know that they're going to get a lot of fans. The Texas Bowl is going to be Arkansas and TCU, two Southwest Conference uh, rivals going to be playing each other in Houston inside of uh, Energy Stadium. Auburn is going to be playing Northwestern. That's the reason why we showed you a lot of those highlights from the Big Ten Championship game. For the for Auburn fans to know, this is kind of what you're getting into when they play Northwestern on New Year's Day. The Gator Bowl that's going to be taking place in Jacksonville is going to be Kentucky versus NC State. That's happening January 2nd. And the Outback Bowl happening in Tampa is going to be Ole Miss and Indiana. And, of course, you have your three New Year's Six Bowls, which is where the three SEC teams went. Florida is going to be playing in the Cotton Bowl. That game is happening on January 1. One, and then you're also going to have Georgia and Cincinnati playing in the Peach Bowl on January 1. That's going to be an 11 a.m. kick that's going to be happening in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And then the Orange Bowl is going to be Texas A&M and North Carolina coming up January 2nd. Chris just said his team is going bowling, go Heels. They're going to be playing Texas A&M. And obviously, you also know that Alabama and Notre Dame are going to be playing as well on January 1st. That game is going to be at 4 p.m. So that makes me think, I have not seen the schedule, but I am going to go under the assumption that they are moving the Cotton Bowl and the Cotton Bowl is actually going to be played at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. That is my guess. I'm going to look that up as we're speaking right now because of the fact that these bowl games, one game kicks off, the Alabama game kicks off at 4. The uh, Florida game kicks off at 7. There's obviously no way that those games can happen at the exact same time. But that is interesting as I'm looking now, making sure you have the way this is happening because, no, they've moved it. Okay, that's what they have done. They've moved the Cotton Bowl. That game is no longer going to be played on January 1st. They have moved that to December 30th, and that is going to be taking place at AT AT&T Stadium. That gives the grounds crew two days to get the field ready for Alabama, Notre Dame, and the Rose Bowl. Look, the other thing about the Cotton Bowl taking place and the and the Rose Bowl, it's good that's on artificial surface because all they got to do is just wash the grass and it's going to come right up and they can repaint it and everything is going to be good. So that's the reason why that is that is going to happen the way that it is with Alabama playing on January first and the Cotton Bowl now being moved to January or to to December thirtieth. Then comes your other news, because we've spent a lot of times on the bowls, your bowl games and all of that. Now comes the other part, and I bring this back up so that so I can show you once again the overlays for the or the, the bowl schedule the way that's looking right now. Look at that first bowl game, the Gasparilla Bowl, South Carolina versus UAB. 
There are rumors because we are are in the middle of coaching searches for the Auburn Tigers, which is about to become the most polarizing coaching search of the coaching carousel season, is Billy Napier was just offered the job as the head coach for the Auburn Tigers. He has turned it down. I'll get to why the rumors are, what the rumors are, here in a few seconds. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian was supposed to interview the offensive coordinator for Alabama. He was supposed to interview for that job yesterday. He did not do so. Tony Elliott has withdrawn his name. He's the offensive coordinator for Clemson. Uh, Kurt, for- not Kurt Ferentz. No, definitely not that. Brent Venables, he's the defensive coordinator for Clemson. He's supposed to interview for the job with Auburn here in the next couple of days. And then you get to Kevin Steele. His name has been taken off the list as possible as possible head coaching candidates after you saw the uproar from Auburn fans, the hashtag Stop Steal. Uh, we found out about the coup that was taking place that got Alzon fired. Um, earlier, uh, late last week or early last week, we talked about it here on We The Fans on KCPN. And his name has been withdrawn after the backlash that came from other, other boosters as well as fans when it came to Kevin Steele being the head coach. Now enters a new name that in the state of Alabama we know a lot about, but obviously if you're listening and watching on KCPN, we the fans uh, in Kansas City or in Kansas, in Missouri, wherever you are listening across the country, this is a, a name named Bill Clark. He is the head football coach for UAB. Bill Clark, in his little backstory, is he was the head coach for UAB when UAB, the program, was shut down after the 2014 season. He had opportunities to go elsewhere. He had opportunities to go become an offensive coordinator for Power 5 jobs, for head coaches, and he said no. He was still getting paid by UAB, and he stayed. He stuck around. And after about a year of a lot of protests, um, Save UAB, and, and that movement that took place in the Birmingham area, uh, there were they, they being the Alabama Board of Trustees, reinstated UAB football. Now, for those of you that don't know or haven't put two and two together, UAB is a part of the University of Alabama School Board because they are a branch of the University of Alabama. University of Alabama has about three major schools throughout the state of Alabama, UAB, Obviously, Alabama Tuscaloosa, which is what's never really called, it's just called Alabama, and UAH in Huntsville, which is goes back and forth from UA Huntsville to UAH, but they are also a branch of the University of Alabama. The Alabama board reinstated football for UAB. Bill Clark remained. He stayed the head coach. He did recruiting. He brought in freshmen. He brought in a ton of JUCO transfers. Some players got waivers to come play at UAB. And in the course of two seasons, he won the Conference USA Championship. He was named Coach of the Year. It was absolutely an amazing story for UAB. A few years ago, UAB got word that the city of Birmingham had approved the building of a brand new football stadium for the UAB Blazers. UAB plays at the moment 
at Legion Field. It is the football field that you will see in every single Iron Bowl before the year 1989. It is the football field that you will see played in the Birmingham Bowl. It is the football field that, if you've ever seen the movie Woodlawn, tons of that movie was shot there. In fact, uh, the 1970, I believe, football game between USC and Alabama that apparently changed the SEC for, and especially recruiting in at the University of Alabama for good. Uh, that's the stadium that that, that that game took place at that is considered one of the most important football games historically in college football history. That took place at Legion Field. Legion Field was great. It's now a crap hole. It's god awful. I'm shocked that it complete that it stands. Uh, it did have an upper deck on one side of it. Uh, it actually has upper deck on both sides or it did have an upper deck on one side and that was destroyed because it collapsed. And so they never even rebuilt it. And so it's just become like this big, huge bowl. Uh, there's a press box on the other side and, but UAB's played there. It's a 70, 80,000 seat stadium. UAB probably brings in anywhere between 15 to 25,000 fans, uh, some days. And it looks like there's nobody at their football games. But if you look at the big scheme of things in the CUSA conference, UAB actually was one of the top one or two teams in the CUSA when it came to attendance. So now that UAB gets approved for this football stadium and this all connects to Bill Clark and his potential, uh, the potential of him becoming the brand new head coach at, at Auburn is they approved this build and the stadium is supposed to open up next season. Their thought has always been is that Bill Clark wanted to stay at UAB to get the program back up and going. He's obviously won two conference championships. They won the conference championship against Marshall on Friday night. And they want and he wants to see the new stadium open so that because he's the one that basically helped build it. Honestly, they should build a statue for him outside of UAB's their brand new football stadium because he's that important to the football program. If you ever drive through Birmingham, you take a flight out of Birmingham, uh, you can see the brand new practice facility that UAB has. It's an open air practice facility. It has a roof on top of it, and but it's open air on both sides. You'll see something very similar when you're watching the Senior Bowl uh, coming up in a few weeks. And if it's raining down in Mobile, you see him go inside. That's his, that's a very similar practice facility as to what UAB has. And you'll see that uh, down in Mobile coming up here in a few weeks when the Senior Bowl kicks off, and it's an amazing game as well. But we had always been told behind the scenes that Bill Clark had always wanted to be Auburn's football coach, and that's the reason why he never took any jobs. He's been coached. He's coached at Dothan High School in the state of Alabama. He's coached in Prattville, the state of Alabama, which Prattville, when he was the head coach, was the team that dethroned Hoover as the best football program in the state of Alabama. Now it's Thompson who's, re who's dethroned Hoover again uh, to become the best team, which is where uh, to his younger brother, Talia, played before he – went to Alabama, and then eventually transferred to Maryland. And he's coached at Jack State inside the state of Alabama, which Jack State lost to uh, North Dakota State a few years ago in the FCS National Championship game. And, of course, he's, he's now also coached at UAB. So he stayed in the state of Alabama the whole time, and many people believe the reason for this is because he wants to be the next head coach of the Auburn Tigers. He's interviewed once, and apparently he's going to be interviewing again. 
what I'm about to tell you now, I should put a disclaimer up there at the top, right, you know, right, right around here that says this is a rumor. There's rumor that the reason why Billy Napier just turned the job down a few moments ago was because the, the Auburn board wants Kevin Steele to remain the defensive coordinator on the staff and the head coach would not have full control of his staff. Obviously, if you're a coach, you definitely want that. If the rumors are true and Kevin Steele is the one that actually did this coup to get Gus Malzahn fired so that he could become the head coach, why on earth do you want that man to be your assistant in your football program at the exact same university that he's already done this once? Auburn has the ability to become one of the top programs in the SEC. They're getting ready to build a football-only facility, and then and they're already great in recruiting outside of this year, but they still have some recruits that could come in, some transfers and things like that that can improve their SEC ranking and their national ranking when it comes to recruiting numbers. If you are Auburn, why, if any coach, why on earth do you want Kevin Steele anywhere on that campus if you were the head coach? Because you already know what he's done once. That is rumored to be the reason why Billy Napier did not take the job. If Bill Clark takes the job, I would be very interested to see if he agrees to keep Kevin Steele as the defensive coordinator because I think that is the reason why these coaches are dropping off. I think that the reason why Steve Sarkeesian did not make the effort to have the interview that he was supposed to have yesterday is because he doesn't want Kevin Steele on his staff and he wants full control of hiring whoever he wants to be his assistants. I think that's going to be any coach. And I think that, honestly, the only way that a coach can come in and be a good coach at Auburn is to get the board of trustees and get the boosters and tell them, I run this program. You are the ones that donate your money so that I can do my job better, not so that you can play this as a little toy that you can go out and you can go into whatever your smoking room is and you can you can drink your, your whiskey in your hand and you're, you're sitting like this. And you've got your cigar in the other hand and you're smoking and you're all sitting around in four or five leather chairs talking about all the things that you've done for Auburn to make you look special. I think that is what the difference is going to be between this head coaching that comes in and the previous one. There's also rumor that the reason why Kevin Steele is no longer a candidate for the head coaching job is because Gus Malzahn is the one that's behind it because of what Steele did to him. Again, I'm just throwing rumors out. And this is not a 2020 thing. This is an Auburn University thing. And this is how Auburn does business. And it's horrific. And if Kevin Steele is still on that staff, it is because they found a yes man that will take the job. And if everybody continues to tell them no, they'll just hire Kevin Steele as the head football coach. And Auburn's just going to be mediocre for the next 10 or 15 years. And that's going to be a, a bad look on Auburn University because the good old boy network is what it's called is going to be the reason why this this team fails. That is that. All right, as we finish up and as we wrap up, let's not end it on on a a bad note of anything and anything that's happening uh, SEC football-wise because we also like to highlight SEC football players in the NFL and what they have done to – as they represent their universities. Jalen Hurts had an amazing game 
against the Arizona Cardinals. Did not win. Derrick Henry had a tremendous game running the football the uh, other day or yesterday, and Tennessee did win. But then comes this game, which was filled with highlights. And you see Mahomes now dumping it off to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, not a, a former SEC wide receiver, but he did graduate from West Alabama, or he did go to West Alabama, and that's the reason why we we're showing that highlight. You also have Travis Kelsey getting this score in here. But look, the SEC players in this one that did so well in this game, Drew Brees, or this, this is Taysom Hill, BYU, quarterback he scores this touchdown and basically just runs it right up but then comes this tremendous play that really just it looked really bad and and quite frankly this is the reason why you do not take the punt this is the reason why Tyreek Hill doesn't return punts anymore and now you're gonna see it from Robinson as he makes this mistake ball goes out of the end zone for the safety to make it 14 to 9 instead of 14 14 which is what Drew Brees was hoping for just that right there just now but then Drew Brees dumping this football off in, in this great touchdown run that you saw I love the throwing it into like the 3,000 fans there as Murray scores the touchdown but then this play, and this is the one and the reason I bring it up, is because Hardeman, former Georgia Bulldog, making that catch in the back of the end zone and the play that Patrick Mahomes did to buy time for Hardeman to get over to make that catch was absolutely astounding. Hardeman getting both feet down. What a great catch it was by him in this football game. And then you see the shuffle pass to Bell with 13 minutes to go in the game. The reason why he's in the football game is because of the injury that took place to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Alvin Kamara, the former Alabama Crimson Tide running back, the former Tennessee Vol running back, scores that touchdown to get it to within one score. That is very important for anybody that is keeping uh, keeping scores for Vegas. Then you had, once again, they pull it down, they being the... Uh, they being the Saints, get it to within three. Travis Kelsey once again making another catch, getting the first down as the clock is winding. Then you get Le'Veon Bell finishing up this game with this first down run right here, plus the face mask that got the first down. That was going to be enough for the ball game to end. And Lil John Humphrey is the one from Texas that scored that touchdown for the Saints. And what a game it was between New Orleans and between the Kansas City Chiefs to finish off this. Honestly, if this is our Super Bowl, I'm going to be totally cool with it because this game is going to be extremely fun to see Mahomes versus Drew Brees in Tampa for the Super Bowl. Give me that, and I'm happy. Sun's coming in right now. We're about to wrap up here on KCPN. Make sure that you follow all the KCPN podcasts that we are going to be showing throughout the week, whether it is The Spoken, Run Your Mouth, whether it is Triple B that you're going to get tomorrow night, Tuesday night, here on KCPN. And obviously coming up after the Super Bowl, River Region Wrestling is going to return on KCPN as well every single Tuesday night starting at 6 o'clock. We will be back with We The Fans next Monday as we start to preview the college football semifinal that we're going to be getting ready for on New Year's Day. Have a Merry Christmas. 
Have a great week. We will talk to you again on KCPN next Monday. The only thing we have to fear is...